Welcome, everybody, to the Chinchilla Pickin' Podcast. It is July the 30th, 2023 at 4.07 p.m. As always, we hope to be entertaining, educational, and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. My name is David Underwood, and I am joined once again by the one and only Brandon the Beaver. What's going on, Brandon? You know, just uh, still taking my vow of um, not watching CNBC (laughs) and... uh, I've also taken like an exodus completely from all political news. I haven't watched a thing when it comes to politics in the past month. Um, I'm kind of interested in this alien testimony thing, though, so I might look into that. Because I have no idea what happened with that because I haven't watched Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, uh, anything. And by the way, uh, my mental health so much better. Yeah, I mean... Um... As far as like just regular news, I just look at the headlines to see if there's anything that's affecting the markets or anything that's affecting any stocks I own. Um, but as far as stock news, I, I do watch. Um, I have I have a, a subscription to live TV, so I have a Bloomberg and a CNBC and Fox Business and the, the the three biggest ones available to me. I know this weekend I watched a great interview of CEO of a investment firm. And uh, you know, on Bloomberg, and it was great, and I had, I had a good uh, conversation. It, and he, he, the actually the CEO uh, Brandon, he actually talked about um, you know, the the housing market, the commercial real estate market, the the real estate in general, and where because his company is mainly invested in real estate, and where he thinks things are going, how things are going right now, and it gives you a good insight. So, um, as far as what you're talking about, the talking head spouting off things happening in real time, yes, that's that is. Typically, those those stations uh, throughout the week, throughout the business, uh, the market hours, but on the weekends, there are great uh, interviews happening and insights. Um, and so I, I find value in watching it. I know you don't, but I do. So I, that's great. But the thing is, is that you can catch that interview isolated by itself online um, without having the talking heads surrounding that interview on both sides of it and without the emotion and irrationality. You know what I mean? So I just watched an interview with Larry Culp. Uh, I think it was from CNBC, but I found it from on my TD Ameritrade account on the news section. And I just clicked into that and watched it. And then I also saw a good, a good segment that actually CNBC did on Meta's earnings. And I watched that. But then I don't have on both sides, you know, the emotion driven stuff that happens so often on those networks. And I feel like so investors like like yourself need that investors like myself who uh, also day trade. We don't just uh, do long term investments. Um, We need that news in real time to be able to make our trades because there have been some times that I'm in and out of a particular stock in in one to two hours. Yeah, and I've made five percent. So, um, I need those real time headlines. And then there's there's other investments that I bought in a year ago, Brandon. I'm still sitting on. So, I mean, I have a good mixture of it, and I understand. I'm, I know you don't day trade, so for you, that's not necessary. Well, I would. I just don't have. I don't have like the ability to at this point in time. I really haven't for like two years. With the job that I have now and with the last two jobs I had before that, um, it made it really difficult to take time out of my day uh, because I always had something going on that was pressing some sort of fire to put out 
somewhere. You know what I mean? And taking my time off to do that and watch a trade and making sure that it's going in the right direction and being that time centric on the day trade, just it's not right for me right now. When COVID happened and I was working from home, I was good. I could, I could day trade and I did day trade and swing, you know, made swing trades and stuff like that on, um, on the market. All right. I mean, at least you know yourself and you know your situation and you're able to be disciplined enough to do what's best for you and your finances. Um, I do want to, it takes time to get there. It takes time. Yeah. And that that that's good because that's how you're going to make money is being disciplined, knowing yourself, knowing what you're capable of doing, and then uh, just growing. So I want to take a couple of things here. Um, I, I, I know you, I said you'll go first, but if you don't mind, I got some short, tiny two, three-minute things, two of them that I want to cover. But uh, rules, rules, rules. Brandon and I get together five to ten minutes before the show, and we tell each other what we're going to talk about. You actually hear the live discussion here on the show. Brandon has the meat of the show today, but I'm gonna. I'm. I, I told him beforehand he would go first, and I lied. Um, here I am. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stop you. Uh, but these should only take two, two to three minutes. It shouldn't really take that long at all. First thing is, I'm gonna talk about this. Uh, a person that I was assisting, helping get started in investing, right? And I mentioned this person before on the show, and they had uh, set up twenty bucks a paycheck to go into their Fidelity investment account. That's that's how we set it up, and. They've been uh, investing now for a little over almost two and a half months, almost two and a half months. So they haven't been investing that long. Um, but in two and a half months, they have go they have gone ahead and they've returned an eight percent return on their money in two and a half months. And that's I, I really want to Yeah, I know. That's what I told them too. I said that is that is really good. And I explained it to them in this regard. I said, look, the the best 401k fund that I've seen, that I personally have seen. In, in all my years uh, and has ever returned maybe a 14 and a half percent return on your money in a year. I said, that's the best 401k fund that I have personally found a hedge fund will probably uh, one of uh, will get you about 35, 40% uh, return. And that's an average. So some are better, some are worse. Um, you know, and then there's capital groups that would get you a possible higher return, but those are, you have to have a certain net worth to join those capital groups. Um, so I said 8% return in two and a half months is awesome because if you compound that and you do two and you do 8% return on your money for the next two and a half months and so on and so forth, I said, you're doing really well over the course of, of the year. And you've, you've really grown that into a, a, a tremendous amount that you're up there competing with that 30% return on your year, um, getting close to it. And I, I said, this is what I'm talking about that anybody can be taught how to do better than what your 401k can. If you're just smart with your money and you stay disciplined and you listen to the advice that people have gone before you and you do some research, you know, the problem again, that I've seen when, when I get a new person and, and they start investing or trading is they have a few good trades and they, they're like, I got this. I don't need to listen to you anymore. And they go off on their own and then they lose money uh, because they quit listening because they got this. And what happens and they say this doesn't work and it never will work and they and they give up and and it's all because people quit being disciplined and quit listening to to the people who have gone before you know find a mentor find someone to guide you and then stick with them you know find someone who's actually being successful and stick with them don't don't duck out brandon thought yeah and stick to your thesis and 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 to the uh, investment knowledge that you've gained 
I mean, I think my strategy actually like works with what you're saying right now too, because there's been times where with Meta, I was sitting on a 15% loss at one point. And you know what I did? Just cost dollar cost average. I stayed true to what I thought about it and um, stuck to my thesis. The same thing with General Electric. Disney's probably going to wind up being the same way. I'm on. I'm down on that right now. But a lot of people would buy it. Oh, I'm down on it. This isn't working. I need to sell it and take my losses and move on. But you're just going to keep doing that. <laughs> you're just going to keep taking losses if that's the way that you are. And, and one of the things that I love about the show, Dave, we're talking about eight percent in two months because we're reasonable people. You know, we're not the TikTokers on there like, oh, look at the seven Ferraris behind me that are totally mine and not Google stock pictures I found from somewhere. <laughs> I made two trillion percent in three weeks. Uh, yeah, no, no, you didn't. <laughs> and if you did, it's fake money. I, I love because uh, there's some uh, uh, some sites that let you do paper trading, Brandon. And there's some sites that let you do binary options with fake money to paper trade. Right. Yep. And I've seen people actually do video of saying, hey, look, look how much money I'm making. I'm, and it's there's that little symbols and stuff at the top that let you know it's paper trade. I'm like, you're <laughs> yeah. paper trading money and making a video and and yeah. saying that you're actually making that money. And that's that's not it's fraud. Yeah, it's that's fraud. Honest. But that SEC will probably never do anything about it because there's too many people. They're, well, they're, they're not. It, and the, the loop around is if they don't sell anything then technically they're not breaking any law there. So yeah. if they're not selling anything, then then it's okay. You know, that's the loophole. But sure. anyways, uh, I'll, I'm going to hand it over to you. I know you got a, a lot to talk about, Brandon, so go ahead and get started. All right. Let me pull up my notes real quick. All right. So Alphabet and Meta both reported earnings last week. Actually, it looks like tech is doing really well. When we talk about the AI boom, it looks like there may be a little bit more to it. And Dave, Ad spending coming right back up, still down 18% for ad prices digitally year over year. Uh, but it's they seem to be rebounding, and that might be going against my you know estimation that we're going in a recession. Maybe we're not, I don't know. Uh, but Alphabet reported a 5% year over year growth in Google search ads, uh, 4% growth in YouTube ads. Um, previous quarter, this was down. So starting to accelerate from zero growth, and this was on both ends of this. So that's good news for the uh, general economy. So it's definitely good news for Google. Good news for Meta as well. Meta's revenue almost completely came from uh, Facebook and Instagram ads here. This was 11% increase for Facebook and Instagram ads in the second quarter. And that's up 3% uh, uh, from 3% growth in the first quarter. So Big rebound there as well. Um, they didn't, and they had a one percent decline in ad revenue for last year. So starting to move right back up in the ad revenue. Third quarter guidance implies twenty five percent revenue growth, the fastest pace in two years, and that's mostly once again coming from ad spend on Facebook and Meta. And I told everybody on this podcast this is what I was going to be paying attention to. Ad spend. We talked about the um, Omnicom um, company that you know the advertisement company that we mentioned, and then I was looking into the advertising industry, and then I also mentioned if I was going to buy anything because of advertisements, it would be Google or Alpha, Alphabet or Microsoft because of the AI uh, portion of that. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg mentioned Reels. He said it's generating more than ten billion dollars in annual run rate revenue. This was only $3 billion in the fall. 
So huge growth there as well. Now, here's an amazing statistic, too, I think. Google Cloud growth in the second quarter was 28%. Any kind of growth where you're looking at 20% or above for any any of these companies that are well-established and well-matured, it's pretty exceptional. Go ahead, Dave. Well, I mean, you, you saw bit major uh, cloud growth in Microsoft all of last year, quarter over quarter, continuing to grow, but they only have so much bandwidth. So uh, uh, people are going to move to the cheaper uh, cloud service in uh, uh, companies such as Google because Google has so much of the infrastructure in place that they're able to provide this product at a lower cost than, say, a Microsoft or an Amazon because Amazon's still building out their infrastructure, yeah. but Google has an existing infrastructure that's pretty large. And so that that helps Google uh, keep that lower cost, and so companies will switch to the lower cost and it's just, like you said, an established company, so they know they can trust the product. Yeah, and Google, even compared to Microsoft, Google, uh, Google.com, that's got a, a twenty-year head start on Bing.com. So they've they've got a lot more, you know, in place to help them. I think with with uh, even the AI thing, which a lot of people were thinking Bing would overtake Google for AI. Uh, search results and i don't think that's going to happen i think google's got too much of a head start on them and, and they know what to do and what not to do a lot better as a result there's now with the ai i i want i want to separate that conversation from the rest of google right so google makes most of its money right now currently off of ads sure. on youtube and and google and the adsense market and all all that and that makes them a lot of money and it's very very lucrative for them and and their profit margin is huge because that, like I said, they have everything in place already, and it's all paid for. So their their profit margin is massive on these these ads. Um, but the AI, I think, is a separate conversation because there's a lot of potential and opportunity there. But it all depends right now on the companies that are making moves if they're actually gonna um, uh, exercise and jump on the potential, jump on the opportunity and actually see the, the actual, uh, growth and existence of this AI market and the AI jobs. Yeah. And a lot of people talk about the AI boom. And, you know, when you talk about meta being up 88% year to date, uh, they, they blame it or not blame it, but they, they, they say that it's because of the AI boom that we're in, but these numbers that these companies are putting out right now on ad growth, I think they justify the current stock prices. I think both of these companies are currently fairly valued. I think Meta's at like a 20 forward PE. I think you're you're paying 20 uh times forward earnings and somewhere around 30 or 35 for um for the last 12 months earnings, but um so fairly valued, not undervalued or overvalued there. Uh in my opinion. And and I think just when you're looking at like okay Google or not Google but uh, Meta expecting a 25% revenue growth for the third quarter. That's why I think the stock's up. Do you, do you think that has to do with threads and the whole Twitter versus threads issue? I honestly think threads is, um, to me, honestly, as an, as an investor, it's just kind of like it's icing on the cake. Without threads, this company still is producing 25% revenue growth because most of it's coming from Facebook and Instagram. So gotcha. threads is just another, you know, another reason to do it, but it's very small when compared to their core group of, of apps, which the biggest ones, Facebook still, and then Instagram after that. 
So, I mean, because we we have a thread, Chinchilla Picking Does, and it automatically, when I created the threads, it automatically transferred anyone who was following us on Instagram all all already over to our uh, Chinchilla Picking Threads, and it was pretty interesting how it did it and pretty cool. Um, and I'll be creating a, a Chinchilla Picking Facebook here soon. I'm having a little technical trouble with it. I'm not IT. I'm sorry. I'm not IT savvy, but... Uh, um, the cool thing about Meta, and this has to go with Meta's advertising, is that when I do a post, I can post it to all three at once. And yeah. that's what a lot of companies and social media people like, is that, hey, I could do one post and it's on all three. Gotcha. Now, on the flip side of this, Meta's virtual reality and uh, metaverse business lost uh, $3.7 billion. That's the uh, Reality Labs. And this was a $4 billion loss in the first quarter. And they uh, they expect uh, losses to increase substantially in 2024. Initially, we were looking at 10 to 11 billion dollars in losses on this front per year when they announced Reality Labs. They're probably going to top that in losses, unfortunately, this year and maybe even next. So this is something that, like you talk, you're talking about the uh, the year of efficiency, and they've they've decreased their head headcount i think by 14% which for a company that's still currently employing 71,000 people that's a lot of people that they uh that they uh you know they axed um yeah and the uh, the reality labs the, the problem i see with that is they have a good product they don't have enough apps and they don't have enough games and they don't uh in order to uh, continually coming out um and uh, the the user base is there, but they're not connecting with each other like they thought they would. So let's say, let me explain this better. Say, Brandon, you you get a uh, Oculus headset, right? Yeah. Then you don't know anybody else that has one. So these multiplayer games that would be very exciting to play online in VR, you know, you're just you don't have anyone else to play with, and that's that's what a lot of a lot of people's problems are. However, um, the the groups of people out there that do have all their multiplayers to go with, they uh, you know their their complaint is there's not enough uh, uh, continuing to produce good content and games and apps on there. And then as far as the developer side and the business side aspect, that which is the new headset was geared at, is you don't have a lot of companies actually using it in 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 the workplace because there's they don't have a they don't see a way that they can use it in their current setup as a corporation. And so there's 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 no adaptation there for it. And so that's that's the problem they have with it. Um, I believe they have a good product. They have a good vision. And you just got to get the public to adapt. And it's going to take time. I think we were looking at like 2030 or something like that when they first announced this as far as profitability goes. But the losses they've got to control. We expected losses going out for 10 years when they first announced Reality Labs. But this has got to be something that, like, okay, it's starting to it's starting to increase a little bit. It's not going to affect me selling the stock. I'm not going to sell it at the moment unless, you know, that starts to accelerate a lot more than what it is right now. But, um, yeah, this is something that $3.7 billion in the second quarter alone we're already up to $7.7 billion in losses for this year. So it's probably going to go above that $10 billion mark in losses that they were talking about earlier. So I don't definitely has to be, you know, stemmed, but people for right now are at least ignoring that a little bit. Um, and meta is back 
to being a loved stock, which is a great reminder. This is how quickly things can turn around. I mean, I don't think anybody on this podcast, well, a lot of people on this podcast probably don't even know or remember what Cambridge Analytical was. <laughs> Like, if I mention that, hey, remember Cambridge Analytica? They're probably like, yeah. what? what is that? It was one of the reasons. I, why I remember it. that. And the, it was in the doghouse for so long because of that. And and people used to love to hate it. This was, you know, but it created profit opportunities for people like me and people who are like-minded who picked up the discarded stock that people on CNBC were, were trashing, frankly. Um Look at General Electric. It was hated for so long. People like, you know, that are the once great industrial company that uh, that is just trash right now. If you want to lose money, you buy General Electric stock. Well, thank you to those who hated the stock when Larry, even when Larry Colt took back over, because you allowed me to take 62% profit so far. And this was, look, go back to August of 2021. We had a show that was called GE Past, Present, and Future. And I was talking about how I thought this was going to be the great American turnaround story. I'm not trying to like, you know, brag about this, but I, I, we should celebrate our wins a little bit. Right. Yep. So 62% now, not to mention the 40% profit that I've made off of general electrics, healthcare stock since it's January 4th market debut. And this is basically all thanks to people like, like I'm going to, I'm going to, trash on him again but whatever all thanks to people like jim kramer who were physically crying about how horrible meadow was and allowed people like me and, and like-minded stocks to pick up huge gains in meta now let me note something here i can't predict the future i'm not a wizard even with my meta investment that's almost doubled now i even made mistakes on that the first shares i bought a meta were Sometime around April or a little bit before that, I think last year, the first shares I bought were $338 a share. The stock still hasn't climbed above $338 a share. So I bought too early there. Right. But yeah. thanks to a uh, magic, uh, the magic of, of a nice little thing called dollar cost averaging, and also thanks to a bit of experience that allowed me to hold on to my thesis and, and stay confident in my decisions, the secret sauce here was that. It was dollar cost averaging and staying confident in what I was doing. And I, lay, I loaded up I, and I loaded up way more shares in October, around $115, than I had initially bought at $338 in April. So this lowered my do dollar cost average. This this lowered my average on the stock to $166.99. I'm up somewhere around 95% on it right now because of that, despite my initial mistake of buying too high. Now, the first shares I bought of General Electric, they were around $80 a share, but we stayed confident, stayed confident in the thesis, dollar cost average, loaded up around $59, $60. Uh, $60 a share. So you can see I bought at 80. It dropped all the way down to 59.60. And then it dropped again to around 54.55. Huge drops. I didn't take the loss because I was confident in General Electric and Larry Culp. I loaded up at 59 and 60. I loaded up at 54.55. G's now at $114.39 a share, above where I even initially bought it at 80 cents a share or $80 a share. Yeah, and and I could also give the example of Tesla when uh, I, I bought that last year on the show, and every week I was giving updates of how my Tesla position was doing, and uh, 
I had a I had a dollar cost average, and it eventually started moving up, and I sold it, and I took a a, a smaller percentage gain. And if I would have just held it longer, I lost out on longer gains because I wanted to hurry up and get out of it because I was impatient because of, to me it was meant to be a trade, but uh, dollar cost averaging helped me there. Uh, so you're you're right in uh, what we call DCA or dollar cost averaging. DCA and works uh, all the time if you believe in the company and and the actual investment. Right. So that, I mean, it's the, and then also if you, if you can continue to believe in yourself, because it's oftentimes very hard, especially for newer investors to stomach the fact that they're down sometimes even 20% on a stock at the moment in time, you know? Yeah. And Buffett's been down on, on a lot of his investments at one time or another by a good percentage, but he believed in them and they, they turned out to be correct for him. So there's, and there's probably a lot of people that turned on this podcast you know, right around the time where I was saying to first buy Meta or right around the time where I was saying to first buy General Electric and they paid attention to it for like maybe two or three weeks and they were like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But if they would have stuck around for the long term, just for the way that my strategy does work, I mean, right now I'm down probably, I think, about 7% on Disney, but I'm not going to take the loss on it because I like uh, Bob Iger and I like the direction that he's starting to move the company back in, you know. So hopefully... I mean, it may not be right. I might, I might, this might be a bad investment, it might be one of a few that were bad. But hopefully, in a couple of years, I can turn around and say, Look, I'm a, you know, doubled my money on Disney. Right. I do the and, same thing I did with Meta and General Electric and a few others. Yeah. Yeah. And you were, you were, you were right in the past and you, you've been right before. So it's all like the thing is, is that you don't even have to be right all the time. That's, you just don't because a lot of your wins are going to far outshine the losses. And, and yeah. And just to uh, hammer this, this point home here, um, you know, you, you don't want to try to outsmart the market. You know, if you, if you found something that works for you, just stick with that. Don't try to get the double extra shot with frap with the extra, whatever sugar topping in it, you know, just order your coffee black, you know I mean? Come on. If you, if you know, it may not be flashy or cool, but if it's working for you, stick with it. Don't try to change it up. So in a way, it kind of is a little bit outs outsmarting the market only because you're buying discarded stocks that the market doesn't like, but you're not overthinking it. That's and, and, and you're not you're not doing the yeah, the what you just said with the you know palm reading and the the uh <laughs> <laughs> the takiyaki cloud or exactly. I, I, yeah, I mispronounce that all the time but well, i don't yeah, know the cloud mean. and read reading the charts i know a lot of people have done well reading those charts like that and I, it's worked for them it can never work for me i look at those chart charts that they have set up with the macd lines and you know the the growth and everything else and i'm like hey man if that works for you that works for you well um, so you, you I, I was never able to read them you just mentioned the MACD line. That's actually one of the ones I do like. <laughs> but it, it has of course to be combined, it is. It has to be combined with a relative strength indicator and, and a few others for it to really work, right? Otherwise, it's going to fake you out. But um, there there are a couple of different uh, chart patterns or or indicators that that do seem to work and have seemed to work for me over the years. It could be just luck, you know. It could be coincidence. But it seems to be the chart um, indicators that kind of align with investor um, 
psychology and, and the ones that seem to work are the ones that measure the momentum of current stocks. So you're kind of, instead of, instead of uh, value investing with those, your momentum trading stocks that are turned either in the process of turning around or already have. Uh, and those, those are really good for swing trades, but not really for investments. Gotcha. All right, man. Uh, so meta, was what we were talking about. Um, what's next? What's after Meta, man? Uh, so I think we've got Apple coming up, right? Apple Does Apple report this week or next? But I know their earnings are coming up. I think that if you're looking at ad growth, um, that should benefit Apple too, especially with Apple TV. Um, I, I'm looking at, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm still pretty bullish, at least on the short term for, for the tech cent- sector. I think Google and Meta for the next week or two ride the momentum that was built off of these pretty good, pretty strong earnings reports. I, I mean, so you, you brought up Apple TV. I will give my thought on Apple TV. A lot of people got it when it first came out. They put it out there really cheap for you. Uh, you would uh, T-Mobile even give it away free to their customers for one year. Um, I did the T-Mobile free one year thing. And uh, I tell you what, uh, I did not, keep subscribing i closed it out after one year i was like i watched the shows i wanted to watch and just kind of said ah i'm good i don't need any more of this um there's a doc there's a documentary on the career of steph curry that i want to see on apple tv so i might i might become a apple tv customer again for a day just well i mean there's too much competitions i mean you have like uh uh the witcher's on Netflix, you have uh, Lord of the Rings on Prime. You know, you got Apple TV with the uh, the soccer coach guy. I forget his name now. I don't um, know. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, there, there's lots of every, but the average person can't afford all the different streaming channels. They just can't. You know, got Hulu's got his own programs. Disney Plus has his own programs. There's just too many now. And so not everyone can afford it. So somebody is going to end up being a loser here. Um, as far as like, uh, hey, that's the one that people start cutting, and I think I think it's gonna be Apple, man. And you do, yeah, I think the Apple TV, yeah. Well, I don't know. You think that you think they want to take that loss? If they're sitting on quite the mountain of cash, they can put the use if they need. Well, I mean, yeah, they could keep it going at a loss every year for a long time. I mean, they could, but Apple's they could a cash grow. machine. They could grow it. <laughs> too you know they could they could put that cash to use and grow in it so i don't i don't know but right now you're right it does look like if you're looking at even disney plus like what disney owns 67 percent of hulu there's so much leverage there that they could use and that they're probably going to use to uh put some life back into disney again so what's apple got apple's not netflix it's not hulu and it's not disney plus It's, it's you know Everyone talks about these these apples. Uh, not everyone, but like uh, uh, the the pundits will mention an Apple show, and I'm just like, I don't know what that is, and I don't have an interest. Yeah, and and that's how I feel. And you know, I'm sure other people have felt the same way. Uh, when I ask, uh, Hey, do you have Apple TV? Do you have no one I know? Do you have Apple TV, TV Brandon? I do not know. All right, see, look, I mean, no one I know has Apple TV. No, no one. I there there's got to be a niche market that's watching it, and that's it. So, I mean, if it's enough for Apple TV, for Apple, then, hey, good for them. They found something. So, 
I mean, maybe. But the thing is, is that Apple, that's not a reason really to stay away from the stock, though. It's just such an incredible company other than that, you know? Yeah, I mean, Apple makes all of its money off the services of the cell phones and 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 those, you know, you got to pay for the cloud, you got to pay for the music, you got to pay for this, got to pay for that. That's how Apple makes all of its money, and it, it does very well. We may be sitting in 10 years from now, we may be sitting here and thinking about how the uh, the headset haters for Apple were all dumb, and, and maybe we're all wearing headsets in the future. Who knows? Foil hats, buddy. Foil hats. <laughs> All right, so enough about Apple. Let me get into headline here. I like this little little part of the show where I've been like uh, reading off headlines and just saying, "Hey, what what do you think this has to do with the market?" That's more of how us day traders do the macroeconomic events of the day. I just love saying macro, um, but uh, yeah, let's let's go off some headlines. You ready, Brandon? Go ahead. All right, first headline is. Apple bets on Vision Pro to repeat iPhone success. Serves as game changer for AR, VR industry. Apple uh, is banking on his Vision Pro headset to revolutionize the AR, VR industry, much like the iPhone did for mobile computing. You were just mentioning this. What do you think about that? That Apple was betting on his VR tech now that you just uh, dogged Reality Labs and, and where it's at. But you didn't really dog it. You did say... Their timeline they gave was not to be profitable in 2030. Apple's now jumping in VR saying, hey, this is going to be a future. Thoughts? I mean, it could be. I don't know. You know, um, if I was a time traveler, I would know better. But uh, they, they clearly know. I mean, they're experts in what they're doing. Apple and Meta, uh, especially Apple when it comes to, you know, hardware. Meta has not proven themselves in the hardware. Their hardware division's been pretty bad, actually. But no, uh, no, their Oculus is a is a fantastic uh, headset. Not I money. Would disagree with you. N- not for money as so far. And not, I, I would just do you have a do you have a uh, hold up? We're going to disagree. Do you have an Oculus headset well, at all? You just do have you to, have one? Yes or no? <laughs> no, but but look at the balance sheet. It's weighing heavily on on Meta's balance sheet right now. They haven't found a way to make it profitable, and they probably won't for a while. They've. I have that. four different Oculus headsets, and I believe it's a fantastic product. But it hasn't made the money yet. So we knew it wasn't. To be fair, we we all knew it wasn't going to make them money yet. They've lost four billion dollars in that area. They're, they're profitable off of me. I tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> just in the last quarter though total four billion dollars in pro uh, you know in losses on, on gotcha the- gotcha and that's uh, development and research and they're trying to grow certain areas that uh and and yes i have not seen the advertisements yet that you see on ready player one and i have not seen the storefronts yet i've seen a couple storefronts in vr where hey you could buy this shirt nike shirt for five dollars and i'm just like no i don't want to um but i just started seeing those recently so they have not been there before. So as far as ads and other forms of revenue besides just buying the apps or the games, that has just started. So I believe you, you, you'll you see some growth there, but not the kind of growth that uh, people are were hoping for. Not in the short term, at least. Yeah, and but Apple believes in it. And so I think that uh, there is a future here. Um, so Apple believes in it uh, enough to create us. Next one. Here we go. Ready? You're going to love this one. By the way, that's enough to convince me. The next one, you're going to like this headline. This is a quick story here. Macro guru Raul Powell predicts Elon Musk will use Dogecoin to make a global payment system for creators on X. Uh, so uh, 
the rumor is Elon Musk is going to use Dogecoin, uh, Dogecoin, Dogecoin, however you want to pronounce it, uh, as the uh, payments processor on X going forward. Won't surprise me. So I actually like this. I like that. Uh, I like this approach, and I believe that uh, we need to use more of this approach. Um, you know, I, I like the cryptocurrency. I just don't ever see – I think some people use it as a uh, – you know, if you use cryptocurrency, you're of this political belief. And I don't like that because I believe if if because there are people on both sides that say they want um, a, a currency that's not, you know, controlled by a government or something like this on, on both sides. Right. But yet uh, both want to put the cryptocurrencies up against each other. And I'm like, why, guys, let's let's just all just start using cryptocurrency and then we we can move away from the yens and the uh, the dollars and and the pesos and and what have you and move towards one currency if that's what you want. I mean, I think it answers everybody's concerns on both sides of the aisle. I think I think it's an actual unification tool, if you will, to bring people together. Still very volatile, but yeah, I mean, if we could get there, I mean, it, I, I'll tell you what, like here, here's something that is a little off subject, but maybe not, you know, if we're all on one, one cryptocurrency or, or whatever, then, uh, um, I think the amount of wars in the world would probably decrease pretty dramatically. Right. Like I said, it, it, it solves so many problems and I think cryptocurrency is, is the best way to go there. Um, uh, but anyways, yeah, Dogecoin more, more. Put in more use. Um, I know uh, Mark Cuban already uses that at his uh, facilities and his companies. I know if Elon Musk has already used it briefly in Tesla's uh, payment processing systems. I know if he's going to use it on X as well. Uh, the more that Dogecoin becomes, uh, uh, you know, used everywhere, uh, it should be a good thing. Um, I don't know how to personally use Doge. I have some Bitcoin. I have a Bitcoin wallet, but Dogecoin, I, I don't have a Dogecoin wallet or how I would use it. But uh, it makes me want to invest in Dogecoin as a as a, an investment, actually. So I don't know. You wouldn't invest based off that news? No. it's no? not. It doesn't fit well in my portfolio, personally. It's nothing against Dogecoin. It's just. All right. All right. Next headline. As Ford loses billions on EVs, the company embraces hybrids. So if you read this article, this one's on CNBC. I know uh, no, not everyone's happy about that, but like, uh, it's on CNBC. But if you read into it, basically what it's saying is that Ford was not seeing a lot of people pick up their EVs, the lightning truck. So they want to focus more on the hybrid model and not just the straight EV. First immediate thoughts come to mind, Brandon. Oh, wow. More of a path cleared for Tesla. That I mean, that's where I thought too. But like, I I think like Rivian was happy to hear that, yeah. Because uh, the Rivian truck, the Cyber truck, you know, Tesla's Tesla had way more orders than they ever thought with with that. Now this just clears more of a way for Tesla and Rivian to uh, move forward. Uh, but uh, I think this was not the best move for Ford, considering that you know most of the West Coast states are saying, "Hey, you have to be uh, selling nothing but EVs by 2035." Yeah. Even even though Toyota CEOs come out and say we can't do that, right? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we'll do our best. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean that's where they're going with those those rules and laws. And so, I don't know, man. Well, I Toyota, think, uh, for, 
Toyota's basically had the same focus, hybrid, not EV. And that's probably why, you know, they've dug their feet in so much into that hybrid uh, technology rather than the electric vehicle technology. And and it's paid off pretty well for them, don't get me wrong, but it, it would be quite impossible for them. Yeah, and I like some of the Toyota hybrids where you can switch back and forth between yeah. just the electric part or just the gas part. Uh, and that would uh, definitely help, especially with uh, Tesla having the mileage issues on the dashboard, how the mileage was not being uh, accurately uh, shown there. Um, the Tesla that- just had, didn't they just have a pretty big recall too for the uh, front cameras being misaligned? Really? I did not see that headline. It was actually the Model S and the Model X, if I remember correctly. Man, just, you know, they, you know, they get, they get those recalls in almost as much as Boeing has issues with their, uh, um, (laughs) their, their, their pipeline of building the airplanes. So, you know, but Hey, you know, we, we can't like, can't get rid of Boeing, right? No, unfortunately not. (laughs) Yep. Um, those were the quick headlines I had here. Uh, there was something here about, uh, oh, yeah, it was under the Bears section of the headlines. Oh, here, yes, we'll read this. Kathy Wood is losing hope with Chinese stocks. What's causing the rift? That's the headline. So this article is by uh, Shanti uh, Rexline, and uh, she was going on to say that uh, ARK Innovation ETF has exited Chinese stocks, including the Alibaba and Amid, amid regulatory crackdowns in China, I think she's about six to nine months too late on this one. Yeah, I feel like the regulatory crackdowns peaked a long time ago. And even now, Jack Ma and his aunt, they're restructuring to uh, actually IPO on the Hong Kong market, which was something that a year or two ago people thought would be impossible. So I think that the crackdown actually happened back when I was talking about Didi. And DD came out and just listed in the U.S. And they, the the government at the time was not happy with DD doing that. And then we on the show we started explaining, oh yeah, okay, this is how uh, Hong Kong stocks are actually on the U.S. market. You're not actually buying the stock; you're buying it through a regulatory through uh, the Caribbean islands, yeah. and and they're buying the stock on the Hong Kong market. And it was it was this whole mess of how these things were working. And then we explained it, though, in detail on the show. We took about 15, 20 minutes explaining it, how it works. You know, this is what's going on. And here's where, you know, China is not happy. China's trying to set up another stock exchange in China um, to compete with the Hong Kong one. And they wanted their companies just to list on those first before going overseas to other listings. And I believe that's when it first, the, the crackdowns were first happening. And that was the time to sell. And that actually was the peak of uh, Jack Maul's company, Alibaba at that time. Yeah. And, and China was a mistake for me personally. I was, yeah. I was pretty bullish on it at the time. You were uh, very bullish. I think we even had like a, like a, a, a red stocks or something. We titled a show that one time or something along those lines. Yeah. Look it up, listen to it. You can hear a uh, 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 bull in a in a china shop was yeah, what that's it was what called. It was, yeah, bull um, in the china we, shop and Brandon we have to talk bring about that up. <laughs> hey, you talked about how it was bad deals, and, and you 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 explained why you were getting out. And, and, and even and even when we were getting into it, I listed headwinds and and said the risks. So at least there was that. At least there was that. All right, the last one um, I'm going to read here. Um, hopes of a Goldilocks economy 
and rate peak as Boyan U.S. Boyan U.S. stocks, and this was uh, late Friday night on Reuters. Um, has put this up, and he's explaining that this was the reason why, in their mind, why the uh, market was up last week was uh, hopes of a strong economy, and uh, you know, lessening rate hikes. Now, I I want to say I was bullish on the economy, but they announced the GDP number, and it was what two point. Yeah. So I keep bringing this up and here's why. Back when the bill was passed and it was the infrastructure bill plan that we're going to spend, you know, X amount of money, but it was going to come out tax dollars. Right. Yep. Um, Janet Yellen came on TV and said, and said on TV in a recorded, that for us to effectively pay for this bill, we need to keep GDP above five for the next few years in order to maintain a tax re- uh, the tax revenue to pay for the bill. Well, GDP went down negative just the next year and then has remained low. And now we were celebrating a 2.8 GDP uh, uh, last week, even though at that time when Janet Yellen said this, the GDP was 5.8. So that shows you the wild swings in the markets. And then that tells me that if she was the, the secretary of treasury uh, was coming on TV saying, that's what we need to pay for it. It means we're not paying for it, that we are actually going in more debt to continue to pay for this bill um, because we were not hitting our GDP numbers. If my math is correct. And so that, that makes me, that makes me worry more about inflation because then we're going to have to print more money in order to pay for these so my concern about inflation still being there and the Fed raising more rates later on is a concern, but I'm still bullish on the economy. I'm still 60% bull. So I'm still 66 or 60% bear, 70% maybe even. But let me explain <laughs> wow. why. Let me explain to you why. We just had a really great quarter, right? Uh GDP big victory lap on it. I don't really know that there should have been because of what you just said. And then national debt is at dangerously high levels. Uh, but when the regional banks started to fail back in March, we injected, and, and I don't think a lot of people talk about this. We put about $300 billion back into the financial markets. And now the federal reserve is starting to lower that balance sheet once again. So these bank earnings that beat the uh, consensus and beat the estimates in the past quarter. And even some of the corporate earnings that did it too, this could just be riding off the $300 billion that was pumped into the market to save the regional banks. And once that's gone, we might just be continuing down the same path that we were back in March when the regional banks started to fail in the first place. Well, part of that balance sheet that the Fed picked up was the signature bank um, loans and they are trying to put that up for sale. $18 billion from during all that mess, uh, Signature Bank and everything we were talking about on the show and the the wild swings in the regional banks. They're putting, they're, tr- they're trying to put that up on the sale to recoup some of that money. Um, but $18 billion worth of loans is going up for sale to any other uh, bank at this time. I don't know if JP Morgan's going to come in and, and and purchase any part of that. I know they looked at it when this all first happened and decided not to at that time, maybe now they could get it at a discount though. Yeah. You know, maybe they could get it at 60% of the do- to the dollar, 60 cents a dollar, you know, that would, that, that might make it worth it to them. Right. But then the U S government ends up losing money on, on the deal. They're the, they're the backstop again. 
which they don't care. <laughs> I mean, honestly, they don't. It doesn't. It's not going to put the U.S. government out of business that they lose money. <laughs> well, that's neither here nor there. But like, yeah, the regional bank problem is still going to exist going forward because of all the Fed raising rates. It's going to cause a problem for them. Yeah. Um, yes, but like the stress test they did recently shows that the banking system can withstand. Um, I think what I announced last week was it like hundred and it was hundreds of billions of dollars of loss and they could withstand it. And so the stress tests work that they can withstand some losses and still maintain operations. Right. So the, the U S banking system is solid is what that means. That's what uh, we think. Yeah. I mean, but we just but don't want it to go. Yeah. You don't want it to go over a trillion dollars in losses because right. now, now that's more than what they can take. And let me be clear too. We just talked about quick turnarounds in stocks. The same thing happens with the macroeconomic economy. So even if I'm 60, 40 bearish and, and, or 70, 40 or 70, 30 even. Um, and, and I think we're going into a recession. Look, the, the, the majority of recessions, they last between two months and 18 months. And 18 months, the very high end. And that's very rare. So I stay long-term bullish U.S. economy, stay long-term bullish for the S&P 500, and you're going to most likely come out on top because those recessions are very quick. There you go. Last week, uh, oh, final thought, Brandon. Uh, final thought was actually just that. I just kind of there burned through it. But, yeah, it's very quick. Stay bullish. Uh, time in the market is better than timing the market. That's a saying that somebody once said. It wasn't me, but uh, it's true. There you go. My final thought is uh, I still believe rig is overvalued. Um, I still will short that. I'm holding on uh, to uh, some of my other positions, holding tight, um, listening to Brandon's sage advice there. I believe Apple's going to break 200 uh, this week on the uh, earnings. If it stays right at 195, um, it should burst around 200 because Apple always – uh, what's what's the word? They they say they're going to come in bad, but then they do end up doing well. So. Yeah, that, they, that. they shoot for the moon and land in the stars. Yeah, so um, Apple always uh, always tends, has a tendency to do that. So I think they're going to break 200 a week. So that's a good trade, 2.5% return. Not bad for one week. That guidance um, on Apple is always very conservative compared to what they do. Right, yeah. And I, they do that on purpose, and they're known to do that. Um, I'm definitely looking at the cryptos, especially Dogecoin off the news that Elon Musk, because if Elon Musk actually comes out and says that you might see a 10% jump in those. And so that might, that's what I was talking about. It might be a good investment for me as a day trader. Um, I'm eyeing it. It's on my watch list. I'm not saying for sure, go out and buy it. Um, but this just let you know where my mind's at, how I think and how I make the moves I do. So there you go. How long, All right, you, man. how long would you hold Doge for? Uh, I would do a, it's a, I would do it as a, a a day trade to a swing trade, so probably five to ten percent return. Okay. All right, guys. As always, we hope we've been entertaining, educational, and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. Have a good night. Thank you for Have listening. Good. Have a good night.